listening to the Refinery Church Podcast. Each message is from our most recent weekend service located on our downtown Brea campus. We hope you are encouraged and strengthened from today's episode. Now for a timely message from Senior Pastor Kelly Fellows. A lot of stuff going on, Pastor Jared. We're talking about all these things, but this is putting our faith into action. Amen? Amen. And every single Sunday, we're here to build your faith. Uh, We're here to have family time, and we're here to have a little bit of fun. And this morning, we've had some fun. We've had some family time, and now let's build our faith. So get ready. It's time to become immovable. Everybody say immovable. Immovable. Last week, I introduced our new series of messages for this fall called Immovable. Confidence in God's promises. And you may have noticed that Tatiana and the team have chosen some songs that talk about foundation, about being rock solid. That's with intentionality. We're looking at God. We're looking about at his promises. We're looking about his, at his commitment and discovering that when we anchor ourselves in Christ, we can become immovable, unbreakable, unshakable. And that's our desire here. Um, If you haven't picked up one of these life journals, I would encourage you to grab one today because during this series, I am going to be giving you points and scriptures that you're going to want to go back and look at and meditate on. This is a way to capture what God is saying. In addition to this, we do live stream this and we have podcasts, which I've talked to you before about. We podcast this, so I would recommend go back and listen again because I'm going to be giving you a whole lot of stuff and it may be more than you can digest in one Sunday. Okay, and in one setting, you want to go back and listen to it. You want to take down notes and you want to discover on your own. I mentioned to you that that there was a summer that this series of messages I came across and it was taught from scripture. And I went back and listened to it three different times to really discover and unpack the significance of God forming a covenant with humanity. My relationship was transformed when I discovered the principles. My relationship with God went to a new level. I went from kind of average Christian to really genuinely having an intimate relationship with God. I believe that too many Christians today don't understand, really understand the cost and the commitment that God has made for you and for humanity. I feel many Christians are kind of like, uh, well, kind of like spiritually homeless. I feel like a lot of Christians are like, it's like they're living outside the gates of their mansion. And they're out there going, man, I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had. And God has given you the key. And you just simply have to unlock the gate and walk in because it's already yours. I feel there's a lot of Christians that are living like that today. And I don't know if it's because they, they're unaware or maybe they just feel unworthy. And to take a hold of God's promises and to apply them to their lives. I think a lot of Christians forget that Jesus said these words. Take a look, John chapter 10, verse 10. When people were wondering why Jesus, you're here on earth... He gives this whole line of this is why I've come. And he says, I have come. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I heard one preacher say one time, 
God didn't just come to give you eternal life. Jesus says, I've come that you would have life and life abundantly. Jesus clarified, I've come to give you salvation and so that your life would be better while you're here on earth. Jesus' heart was that you would have eternal life and purposeful life. Did you catch that? Eternal life and purposeful life. Jesus didn't come to take away your fun, though some of the fun that we have might need to be curtailed a little bit. Jesus didn't come to take away your fun. He came to give you real, fulfilling, and purposeful life for everyone that says yes to Jesus. Having an understanding of how God purposed to form covenants with you will help you gain these things. Focus and clarity and practical insight into, take a look on the screen, this is what it will give you. Go ahead, Addie. You're going to discover practical insight into God's truth. You're going to look at scripture differently. You're going to discover God's pledge, right? Which means his commitment. God's promises. God's reliability. Oh man, isn't that sound good to be able to rely on someone? How many of you, just wave at me, how many of you have been disappointed by a person in the past? Somebody has disappointed you. Well, I think we all need to raise our hands. If you don't, maybe you'd have to think, well, yeah, that's true. I think we've all faced disappointment in people because people are imperfect. But see, God is perfect and God is a promise keeper. That means he's reliable. Mm, Doesn't that sound good? And then practical, real practical insight into God's love. If you weren't here last week, check out our podcast. We saw that a covenant, which is kind of an ancient term, is a word that we need to have a little more understanding of. That it's simply more than a contractual agreement. It's actually this. Take a look on the screen. We, we gave a definition of this, and you may even want to take a picture with your camera or write this down. A covenant is not, not that one. Not that one. That was from last week. Are we talking, do we have last week's up there? There we go. Thank you. A covenant is this. Let's all read this together. Ready? Begin. A formal, intentional, and relational partnership resulting in protection, provision, and purpose. That's the definition of a biblical covenant. It's a formal, intentional, and relational partnership resulting in protection, provision, and purpose. See, it's more than just a contract. It's more than just a treaty or an agreement. It's formal. It's intentional and it's relational. That's important to see. See, a contract usually it doesn't have anything to do with relations, right? But a covenant does. Today, the only real, and I talked about this last week, the only real expression of a covenant that we understand is marriage. A marriage covenant. But a marriage covenant is a very good example to look at today because in a marriage covenant, we see the, the initiating and the, uh, the practices of a covenant. It starts with an invitation to form this union, which we call an engagement, and we give exchange rings or gifts. People get excited, typically, typically, uh, we get excited when we hear about a couple that is engaged. Oh, congratulations, you're engaged. What we're saying is you are forming a covenant. And we know what that means. It's a significant bond. A ceremony is performed. Vows are exchanged. 
Promises are made, gifts are given, and a meal usually takes place. These all date back to the ancient practices and rituals of establishing a covenant. So we do see it today. These modern activities are directly connected to the ancient traditions forming covenants. Um, funny little story. Let me grab some water just a moment. Uh, last week, I gave an example, an illustration uh, between tribes. Maybe some of you remember. Uh, what tribe were you guys that sit over here? Do you remember? You were the warrior tribe. Yeah, I couldn't remember your name, but I know you were the warrior tribe. And over here on this side, you were the farmers, right? Do you remember your name at all? No, I, you probably don't. But in the middle, you guys were the art, art, artist tribe, right? You were all the artists. And I talked about how a covenant was formed. And the warriors were responsible in a covenant to protect. And the farmers were responsible to feed. And the artists, you were there to just make everything look beautiful. Okay, that's what you artists were to do. See, when a covenant was formed, and I shared this with you, the warriors could literally be walking through the farmer's village. And if they were there fulfilling their covenant responsibility, they could be walking along, see a bread cart. And if they were hungry, they could grab a piece of bread and, and go on. Didn't have to pay for it. They didn't have to pay for it, just simply ha could have access to food at any time because that was the covenant agreement. But in exchange, if the warriors were doing something and they got word from the farmers that they needed protection, they literally would have to drop everything they're doing and go and protect. The priority was the covenant. It didn't matter what the warriors were doing. A warrior couldn't say, well, you know, I'm just kind of feeling tired today. I've had COVID. I'm on five days of quarantine. Couldn't do it because of the covenant. The warrior had to stop what they were doing. Even if they were boating, even if they were vacationing, didn't matter. They had to stop what they were doing and they had to go protect because that was the covenant. So see, it was, it was fair because it was the covenant agreement. I told this story. Um, I've shared on covenant practices before, and I used to teach this at my home church that I came from called The Rock. I was part of a discipleship, uh, or a discipleship um, program called Operation Solid Lives, and I would regularly teach on this. Well, there was one week where I was teaching on this, and I told the story of the warriors and the farmers, and um, uh, uh, a few sessions later, uh, a married couple came up to me, and after the service, they're up here, and they're like, Pastor Kelly, thank you so much. We have so appreciated these messages. They've really transformed our life. And the husband said, yeah, um, and he looks at his wife, and they kind of smirk at one another. He goes, I need to tell you about a little recent situation at In-N-Out Burger. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sure how In-N-Out has to do with covenant that God has formed, but okay, go ahead. So he proceeds to tell me this story that they went to dinner a few nights before, and they were at In-N-Out Burger right there on the corner of Harbor and Orangethorpe. And they're having, they're, they go up to order, and the husband and wife stand there, and they order, and he goes, okay, I'll take a number one combo, uh, animal style, please, and, uh, and drink, and could you make the fries light well? So he does this whole thing. And then she goes, I'm just going to have a drink. I'm just going to have a drink. He goes, oh, okay. So she gets the drink and they go and sit down. Finally, they call the number and he goes up and gets the food and he sits down and he gives her, he gives her the drink and then he proceeds to get ready to eat. And immediately she starts to reach over and start eating his French fries. And he looks at her and goes, what are you doing? Those are my fries. And she looks at him with the, with the most serious look. She goes, covenant. And he goes, what? And he begins to realize, well, that's true because what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And she proceeds to eat all of his french fries. Yeah. 
And she's kind of smiling the whole time. And then she lovingly says, I'll go get some more fries. I just wanted to have fun with you. She goes to get fries. She goes up there. She orders a French fry. As soon as she comes back, she realizes her whole drink has been drank. It's gone. <laughs> Husband looks at her and goes, Covenant. Covenant. <laughs> And they both laughed and they shared that with me. And I thought, that's true. I get it. I get it. I don't think God was attributing it to In-N-Out Burgers. But hey, if that's the way you interpret it, okay. In the Bible, we're going to dig into this now. In the Bible, we see the term covenant used over 300 times. It's one of the principles and topics that are talked about in Scripture almost more than any other single fact. It's covered 280 times in the Old Testament. Over 30 times in the New Testament, that means it's a significant principle and many of us don't understand. Here's one example that helps us understand the meaning of covenant. Let me jump in the Old Testament really quickly. First Kings chapter 5. Let me read it to you. Solomon is the king of Israel and he's building the temple. And here's what happens. It says, so Hiram... By the way, Hiram is the ruler of Lebanon at the time. It's a neighboring nation. So Hiram supplied as much cedar and cypress timbers as Solomon desired. He's building the temple. He has a great need. In return, everybody say in return. In return, covenant is a two-way relationship. Solomon sent him an annual payment of 100,000 bushels of wheat for his household and 110,000 gallons of pure olive oil. By the way, way back then, Israel was rich in agriculture. Wheat, olive oil. Over 3,000 years later, Israel in the Middle East is still the agricultural center of the Middle East. Isn't that incredible? That's a whole other topic, but that's because of God's promise and his covenant. But that's not what I want to highlight here. I just want to share that with you. So the Lord, here is, here's what it says. So the Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, just as God had promised. And Hiram and Solomon did what? Made a formal covenant together. Y'all see that? They made a formal covenant. These two kingdoms, Israel and Lebanon, formed a partnership or a covenant that benefited one another. It was more than a trade agreement. It was more than an agreement that was simply uh, out of an economic benefit. It genuinely was a covenant binding these two nations together. And this happens throughout the Bible between tribes and kingdoms. But... What is more important is the fact that God, mighty God, creator of the universe, creator of you, powerful, all-powerful God, actually forms covenants with humans. We see this simple exchange here where they're bound together. Hiram and Solomon were bound together. Benefiting each other equally. God of the universe, you would wonder, why would he form a covenant with humanity? What can he get from us that he doesn't already have? We know what we get from God. We can see it that way, but he makes a covenant with us. Understanding that there is a reciprocal relationship that takes place. And he binds himself. Think about this. We have a God who makes a bond forming a covenant 
with us that is unshakable, unbreakable, and immovable. His covenants are filled with blessings and promises that we can stand on like the song that we sang in times of turmoil, in times of chaos, when culture and society are canceling and redefining what is right and what is wrong. We can be filled with confidence and face the waves of change, understanding that God has made a covenant. So when he says these words, it's more than just simple niceties. It's actually a covenant statement. Take a look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31. When God, through the prophet or through the apostle Paul, said these words, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's a covenant statement. That's a confident statement saying, wait a minute, God made a covenant. He is for me. So who can be against me? Mm, mm, mm. Man, I'm excited about this. So let's dig in. Let's dig in. Let's unpack and discover a little bit more. Since the very beginning, literally since the beginning of time, God chose faithful individuals to establish covenants. Now, I don't know theologically if it was God's idea for a covenant, though I think it was, or if it was man's idea and God just adopted it. I'm not sure which, but I do look at the very beginning when God formed marriage between Adam and Eve, that was a covenant relationship. So I tend to believe that it was God that came up with the idea of covenanting. And man just adopted it into their practices. From the beginning, covenants that would be a blessing not only to them, but to their descendants. And according to dozens of scripture references, those blessings would be available to everyone who comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those are promises for you that you can take a hold of. Let's take a look at this quick video that gives us an overview of the five primary covenants that we see in Scripture. And this is really going to lay the foundation for us for the next several weeks. How God initiated and established in the Bible this. The idea of having a yep, personal <laughs> relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. 
And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. That's good, huh? A little more clarity, a little more understanding, and the significance of what a covenant is. So we see in the Old Testament, there are four primary covenants in that Old Testament were the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. 
These were, interestingly, God chose an individual, a faithful individual, to mediate a covenant between him and people. Isn't that interesting? Noah, you're a faithful man. And now I'm going to call you out. And I'm going to make promises. And I'm going to covenant with you for the sake of everyone else. Then we see Abraham, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, where God pulls Abraham away from his people and says, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to form a covenant relationship with you that will be a blessing. And God even says in that point, you will not only be a blessing to your people, but to all the peoples of the earth. God had a plan. He renews that covenant with Moses. And Moses mediates for the people of God. And we see and hear about the Ten Commandments, which are the terms of the covenant. And we're going to see that a little bit more as well. And then in the Old Testament, we get to David, where, as it was said in the video, a new covenant is established that would make a reestablished, that would make a direction that would come and lead Jesus, who would be the fulfillment of all those covenants, making a way for everybody. Toward the end of the Old Testament, God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah. And listen to what God says through Jeremiah. These words about the next and final covenant after those first four. Listen to what it says. It says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. New covenant. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the old one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I brought them out of the land of Egypt. If you know the Bible, you know who they're talking about, right? That Mosaic covenant. They broke that covenant, mm, though I love them as a husband loves his wife. You see, God's using covenant marriage terminology there, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people. Everybody say new covenant. new covenant. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my, instruction, my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is covenant language where God says, I will be their God. I will be with them and they will be my people. He's saying that we would be one, which is covenant terminology, where two become one. Maybe you've heard that during a wedding. The two have now become one. That's a covenant statement. And God makes this through the prophet Jeremiah. This prophecy of the new covenant was fulfilled, completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons why my relationship with the Lord went to the next level when I understood this was I saw not only did Jesus, not only was he a good man, not only did he bring about peace, taught us how to love our neighbors, but I saw that he was fulfilling a covenant that was established at the beginning of time completely. It increased my faith in who Jesus Christ is. At the end of his life, 
just as he was about to go and be crucified, Jesus said these famous words during the final meal before his crucifixion. And this must have blown the disciples' minds. We hear these words and we don't think much about it. We think of them maybe as religious words. We think about them maybe because we go to church once in a while and we take communion and we hear these words spoken during a time of communion, which we see as a religious ritual. But the reality is when Jesus said these words, it blew blew the minds of these disciples. Why? Because they understood covenant. And he, Jesus said these words, Luke twenty two twenty. he says these words. After supper, they've been having a nice meal, talking about the things that were going on. And in Jesus's mind, he's thinking, I'm about to fulfill God's intention. He took another cup of wine and he said, this cup, not this bottle, but imagine him holding a cup of wine is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. The wine represented the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed to initiate and to seal the covenant that God had with humanity. God went to extreme lengths to demonstrate his love and his commitment to us. Jesus literally signed this covenant in his blood. In his blood. Think about that. Let that just impact you. So here's what we can do when we understand this and we unpack this over the next several weeks. We can read through the whole Bible now and the principles of covenant we're going to find out are critical to the relationship that we have with God. God has made promises and committed to keeping them by signing in his blood. Because of this, you can trust him. Oh, man. You got to hear this because it's hard to find trustworthy people these days. Even myself, I was, I've been a Christian since I was 17 years old and I've had three of the four pastors that have been in my life, spiritual leaders that have been in my life who have failed morally. Three of the four have had affairs and broken my trust in humans. But you know who's never broken my trust? Jesus Christ. He's faithful to his covenant. Faithful to his covenant. You can count on him. Oh, doesn't that sound good to be able to count on somebody? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. See, these are words of covenant. You're going to start reading the Bible differently. You're going to hear these words and go, that's a covenant statement. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, Jesus says. That's a covenant statement. He's binding himself to you. It means you never have to face life alone. I want to close with a story. Some of you have met uh, my brother. His name is Dennis Knup. Dennis Knup has been my friend and my brother since I was uh, 13 years old. I met Dennis uh, as a young man. We were both teenagers. He was a couple years, about three years older than me, and he drove a, a, a Ford, no, Ford? No, a Vega. He drove a Vega. What brand is a Vega? Chevy. Chevy. Thank you very much, Dino. He drove an ugly Chevy Vega, and then he sold the Chevy Vega and got a Ford Pinto. Can you believe that? <laughs> the reason I got to know him was out of need. I needed to get to school. He had a car, so he would drive me to school. 
He let me ride with him. He was cool. He was handsome. His car smelled good, you know, because he was one of those kind of guys with a good smelling car. So I didn't mind riding with him. And we would build, we began to build a friendship. A few weeks after him and I started hanging out together, I had a guy at school that wanted to give me a hard time, threaten me. He's kind of a bully. He's always picking on people. And he called me out one day in front of a whole bunch of other students. Kind of sounds like a movie from the 50s. He says, I'll meet you at the golf course. Where we were growing up, that meant there was going to be a fight. Because he would call me out. We would meet on, I think it was hole number eight. I think that was the hole where everybody would fight. So he called me out that day. And I remember being a little scared. I was like, okay. I was a scrapper, but man, I was nervous. I don't know what was going to happen. I don't know if this guy was going to kill me or what. But I was going to show up because I'm not a coward. And I told Dennis about it. And Dennis said this. I'll be there with you, Kelly. Now, why is that making me tear up? I'll tell you in a minute. I'll be there with you, Kelly. Well, okay. Mind you, Dennis was six foot four, weighed 250 pounds of pure muscle. I mean, the guy could literally, with one hand, like destroy a tree. He was so strong. It's like a modern Hulk, you know, without turning green. So it made me feel good when he said that. But people had let me down. So when I drove over there that evening by myself, I was like, okay, we'll see. And I remember driving up and seeing a bunch of kids. It was dark. They're hanging out at the golf course right there, hole number eight. Scared. I get out of my car and I start to walk over there. And I could see the guy's name was Steve. Steve, if you're watching this online, the story turns out good. I promise I won't share much. So honey, Steve's out there. And he's kind of, you know, trying to look tough, getting all intimidating. And I walk up into the circle and I feel a hand go on my shoulder. And it's Dennis. Man, I'll tell you, I suddenly felt confidence, right? Because I knew Dennis has got my back now. And so I looked across at Steve and I'm like, okay. All right now, I'm starting to feel good now. I'm starting, okay, I'm not so scared anymore. And Dennis then steps in front of me. Now the school knew Dennis. Everybody knew Dennis. And Steve suddenly stopped bopping around. He kind of stood there. He goes, hey, I don't got a problem with you, Dennis. I got a problem with him. And Dennis said words I'll never forget. He said, you got a problem with me, him. You got a problem with me. And Dennis began to walk towards Steve. Steve's all backing up. And at that point, I'm like, that's right. You better back up. That's right. Messing with Dennis now. Uh huh. Nothing happened that night. Steve's like, Psh, you ain't worth it. And he walked away. And the whole crowd just dispersed, as you can imagine. And Dennis turned around. And he said, I told you I'd be here. Man, that solidified our friendship. A couple years later, I would start dating a girl named Leah, and Dennis would start dating her sister named Natalie. And to this day, Dennis and I are still linked together by a covenant bond. 
I married Leah, he married Natalie, and he's still there for me. 30-something years later, Dennis knows that if I got a problem, he's there for me. If I, needed, if I need money, Dennis is the first one to say, hey, how can I help? When I need help, Dennis is the first one to be there. My family and I have moved 18 times in the 30 years that we have been married. Dennis has been there every single time to help. When I'm sick and in trouble, Dennis is right there to cover my back. Dennis is a covenant friend. And it feels good to know there's somebody I can count on. There's somebody that is there for me. You have a covenant friend. Tatiana, come on up. And his name is Jesus. He's somebody who has your back. He's somebody who is going to be there for you. And he won't let you down. The last words of Jesus Christ that were recorded by the Apostle Matthew were these words. And I shared this on Friday night at our night of worship, which was so incredible. Jesus said these words, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is that protector. And he's saying, I'm there for you. And you may be walking through life a little nervous, a little concerned about what's going to hit you, what's going to overtake you, what is going to attack you. But I want you to know here this morning, feel the hand of Jesus on your spiritual shoulder. And he's saying, I'm here for you. I'm here with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go ahead, Elijah. Do you feel overwhelmed? feel alone? Do you lack the confidence that you need to step out into the uncertainty? It's time to call out to your covenant God and he will be there for you. Why? Because he promises that he will and he swore it in his own blood. And so his promises are unshakable. His promises are unbreakable. His promises are immovable. And you can count on him. Let's pray. Oh, dear God in heaven, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, over the next several weeks, as we unpack these various covenants, we are going to discover the depth, the breadth, the width, the height of your love and your commitment. And I believe, oh Lord God, that same confidence that filled me that night on the golf course. When my brother Dennis said, if you got a problem with him, you got a problem with me. And it filled me with confidence knowing that I've got somebody there for me. I'm believing and praying over these next several weeks that every person that visits us, that comes here, that hears these words online or in this room, that they would sense that same confidence welling up inside of their spirit that God, you are there with them. You've committed You've promised that you will be there. So in the quietness of this moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, just want to ask you, have you been feeling overwhelmed? Have you been feeling lonely? Have you been lacking confidence? Right now, just tell the Lord and allow him to speak to you. Just say, God, I need Jesus in my life. 
Make that commitment to him and he'll make a commitment to you. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be God in my life. I commit, I covenant with you today. And God says through Jesus Christ, if you will confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be safe. You will be saved. He makes a covenant statement saying, I will be there for you. So do that right now. Say, God, I give you my life. Jesus, I make you my Lord. And now I stand in confidence knowing that you are here with me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more great content and information about Refinery Church, find us at wearerefinery.com and our socials, We Are Refinery. If you would like to help support and give to the ministry, visit our website at wearerefinery.com forward slash give. See you on our next episode at the Refinery Church Podcast.